Hello, my name is Eric Stephen Booth, and this is my very first podcast. And the program, or I should say my, pro, my podcast, is basically is going to be me about talking about, I guess, the things that happen in my life, which most of my friends can't believe that the stuff that really happened to me. But yes, we're going to talk about that. And um, that's why I call my program The Craziness That Lives Inside My Head. Because if you know me, if you, <laughs> if you know me, I'm a little crazy. I'm a little off. And being that we're on that subject, I've written a couple of books. And one book I've written is called Nemesis Horizon Project. And it's, it's about reptilians. And... Um, basically, the first two chapters of the first book is was taken um, true life. It was my true life, what I went through. Um, I had a couple of reviewers who reviewed the book, and and um, they only gave me one star. But anyway, I want to read this one review who gave me one star for my book, and she goes. In an objective one-liner sum, The Nemesis Horizon Project by Eric Stephen Booth Driver Robinson can fittingly be described as a thought-provoking story that explores tensions between sexuality, upbringing, and relationships within the human condition. Throughout the book, there appears to be a clear attempt and certain areas to encourage the reader to think on deeper levels and apply fictional images to reality. That being said, the erotic, whimsical, sci-fi nature of the book still allows the reader to immerse themselves in a world unlike their own. This read will surely throw you on a roller coaster as you follow the whereabouts and pseudo coming of age of the broken and insecure protagonist Seth from 1974 to 2040. The more Seth learns about himself, the more intriguing and complex the story becomes. But that's the most I will give away. Well, that's what she said about my book. She said more, but she only gave me one star. And basically, why she only gave me one star was because the book was vulgar, um, explicit, sexually explicit, was not for children, and there was a lot of post-dramatic um, uh, topics that uh, has to deal with rape and incest and all that. And she felt that uh, the book wasn't appropriate, you know. But getting back to what I just read. The Seth character is actually my alter ego. And that book, the first two chapters, what I went through to life and grew. I think I grew. I mean, I used to be 430 pounds. Um, I was down to 206. I gained 50 pounds since then. Now, mind you, it did, I didn't lose 200 and, and some pounds in, in, a, in a matter of, of weeks or years. Um, I got to a point when in 1997, at the, in my 40s, I had a, my stomach staple and um, lap band 
uh, around my, my stomach to eat less. I, the first year I did lose uh, 130 pounds, but that was 1997. By 2008, I was back up to 380 pounds. So, to make a long story short, I mean, um, by, I say, 2016, I had gotten down to um, um, 206 pounds. That's my lowest weight as an adult. Now I gained 50 pounds. Um, this lockup, well, it's not a lockup here in, in, in Virginia. We are reopened. But this pandemic lockup, I mean, didn't help me to lose weight, that's for sure. But anyway, I, I want to talk about, um, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. And the reason why I brought that up, the way she, she, she put it, um, I did write the book, uh, Nemesis Horizon, um, The Human Condition. And I, I had, Seth was um, a hybrid reptilian human. And, and for him to grow, in the book, he grew from being a human because his body was transforming into a reptilian. But in order for him to become a reptilian, he had to go through the human condition. And the human condition is like, sometimes I go like, wow. I mean, like, really, wow. Um, I grew up as a fat kid. Um, and, of course, when you're a fat kid, you get picked on all the time. All the time. I was bullied all the time. Um, I got to the point that I didn't trust people. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I really didn't um, trust black people because black kids was the one who was doing all the bullying. Um Kids that seemed to accept me as I was was the um, Latinos and the West Indians. Um, I had a lot of Latinos and West Indian friends, and I still does. And I excuse my expression, I still do. Um, but the thing is, when you grow up, always not wanting to be yourself, you always grow up to want to be somebody else, but not you. And you find yourself trying to escape yourself. Um, Teddy Pendergrass, you can't hide from yourself. You can't run from yourself. Well, as growing up, I tried the best I could. Um, so, of course, when I was 16, I got into um, drinking. Um, and then I got into, by the time I got into my 20s, I was um, smoking angel dust and snorting cocaine. And I didn't like reefer. I didn't like cigarettes. Um, and as for getting high, I love getting high. I love the disco era. I loved it. I love going to a disco, stone out of my mind, dancing on the dance floor, twirling around the floor with a tab of mescaline. I mean, it, it was, it was, when I do that, I was in my, my other world. I didn't have to face myself. I didn't have to look at myself. Um, as time went on, it didn't help any. Uh, I gained weight, and the, the more weight I gained, the more I hated myself. Uh, now, mind you, I didn't realize this until I got sober, but my my childhood, for me, was quite, um, I mean, quite sad and depressing. I mean, quite sad and depressing. And in the book, when she put in the book about um, um, the human condition and, and, and 
one of the human conditions that I had to, to live with, I had a very um, sadistic and brutal stepfather who didn't help my situation anyway. Um, and when he finally left us, um, by that time I was definitely uh, devastated. I mean, there I was close to 300 pounds in, in the 11th grade. Um, so as we go on, I, um, to make a long story short, I did get, I did get sober. I finally got sober. And when I got sober, I decided, and I had a psychiatrist and she was saying, being I like to write, she said, why don't you write your experiences down? And that's what helped me to heal. And this book I wrote, um, Nemesis Horizon Project, the first two chapters, definitely, um, I had one interviewer who thought that all the sex scenes was, um, I put it, gratuitous sex scenes. Um, I guess he didn't believe that all that sex was, was, was real. Um, because when you don't want to be inside yourself, you, you try to find some method, something to get you out of yourself. You know, I mean, for that three minutes or five minutes or ten minutes of pleasure, you're, you're, you're king, you're queen, you're, 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 you're being wanted. You find somebody who wants you. Um, who, uh, when, when somebody, you're having sex with somebody and, and you both, um, how you say, uh, be, um, I hate to use the word come, but that's the only way I can think, think of right now, come together. I mean, in that moment, you know that person wanted you and you wanted that person and that's what, you, and that's what you've been looking for all your life. Then, of course, after, after, after that, he takes a cigarette and, and um, smoke his cigarette, put his clothes on, he's out the door. And there you are again. You're left with yourself. So that, 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 that didn't work. But I wanted to heal myself from all that. I wanted to put all that, put that, all that in this book to, to show people how um, it's a process. It's a process. It was a long process. It took me, I guess, a good 60 years maybe, I mean, um, to like myself. To, I don't care what other people think. I am what I am, and I try to do the best I can. If I can't do the best I can, if I can't please you, then I move on to the next. I move on to the next. Um, being that this is my first podcast, I really don't want to sit here and go through um, the, how you say, the sordidness of my life. Maybe in the next podcast I would. But I just want to give... Uh, what I think my podcast is going to be about. It's going to be about me transforming into what I am today. I mean, I when I get on the... I used to... I lived in New York City pretty much all my life. And every time I got on the train or the bus to go to work, if I hear laughter, right away I get depressed and I get defensive. I say, oh, they're laughing at me. And chances are they weren't. But anybody that laughs, no matter where I'm at, if I'm in a restaurant, walking on the street, if I hear laughter, because I was 430 pounds, oh, they laugh, they're laughing at me. And um, I don't go through that anymore. I mean, in fact, if I hear laughter, I don't even know people laughing. Second thought, I might realize, oh, some, they were laughing. But um, and, and when somebody look at me a certain way, 
I mean, they're looking at me because I'm 430 pounds. Like, you know, they, and I'm saying to myself, oh, they probably figure, how can this fat thing uh, exist? How can he how can he do this and how can he do that? And and I felt all that. And to feel that 24-7, I mean, it's devastating. It's very devastating. Now, most of my, now, the second half of my overweightness, I was sober. I was sober for, I, think, I guess, a good 10 years. Um, before I got my um, stomach staple. And um, I tell the story, that was an accident. I didn't get my stomach... (laughs) I got my stomach staple because, um, like I said, it was an accident. Um, I had a friend who came over uh, for the weekend, and it was... um, They were going back home. They were flying back home. And I felt bad because... um, they were flying home in the morning. I had to go to work Monday that, that Monday morning, and they was going. To, I was going to drive them off the airport, and they were going to be there all day. And I felt bad about that, so I called in sick, and um, and I dropped them off that that evening, you know, so they can go home. And I called my sister, and I said to her, you know, I need a doctor's note because in my job, if you call in sick on Monday or Fridays, you have to bring a doctor's note, or you get written up. So anyway, uh, my sister, she, she um, gave me the name of this doctor she used sometime. And I went to the doctor. who She said, oh, don't worry. He'll give you a doctor's note. She said, it's going to cost you 50 bucks, but he'll give you a doctor's note. So anyway, I went there. I told the nurse that I needed a, a doctor's note to go to work on Tuesday. So um, she said, I saw the doctor. He examined me and all like this and did an examination. He wrote me a, a note and I gave him 50 bucks. Well, anyway, when I went to work Tuesday, the next day, um, the human resources, I gave it to my supervisor. She, he gave it to the human resources. Then I get called up in the middle of the day to go to human resources, and they say, you have to go home. And I said, why do I have to go home? They say, because your doctor said that you uh, are incapable, because I had sleep apnea. He said, you have sleep apnea, and you have all these things. And the doctor suggested that you get a, um, that you can't go back to work until you get the bypass operation because you need that. And they wouldn't let me work. And lucky for me, I had sick leave. So I had sick leave. So I went back to the doctor and I told him I didn't know all this. So he gave me a name of another doctor over up in um, Mount Sinai. I went to Mount Sinai and I saw the doctor and all like this. And we went through the examination and... And he told me all the, the things about it. And I said, okay, all right, you know, why not? And I, and I, now, then I thought about it, thought about it. And I had friends who also were heavyweight. And they would say to me, you know, that's a very dangerous operation. You know, because, you know, you could die on that operation. You know, and then, and then when I, the day that I went to the operation. And I'm laying there on, on, on the gurney to go into the operating room. And, and the woman, and the nurse gave me this. I don't know why they waited so long. She gave me the paper. I read the paper, and the paper was saying that that was first at the beginning of the paper all about death, and it was saying that how how nothing is foolproof and and all like this and operation, and you could die in the operation, and they did not want to be responsible for it, and I had to sign the paper before the operation, and and I'm like a dummy when I signed it, and then I changed my mind, and I told the nurse, oh, I said, oh no, I changed my mind, I changed my mind, I don't want the operation no more, and then that's. She just laughed at me, and then next thing I know, the anesthetist was there, 
and they rolled me into the operating room, and I was out. And then when I came back too, I had the operation already. So, I mean, it, it's like maybe I have a guardian angel at the time, but that is how I got my um, my bypass. It wasn't a bypass actually, because he the doctor thought that I didn't need a bypass. Now that was the one that he was saying that I didn't need. For um, and I'm glad I didn't get the bypass because when he told me that um, I had to, for the rest of my life, I have to take like a B V vitamin or something because when the bypass, your your body's not getting all the um, uh, nutrition. So anyway, I got my stomach staple and and I had my lap band and and the first year I did lose 130 pounds and and I went along and I went along and I went along and I went along. And um, I'm just going to end this short podcast, but um, like I said, I don't want to go through my sordid life. I mean, I have friends who want me to talk about my sordid life. They say it's very interesting. But what I think I will do on my next podcast, I think I will um, have the book with me and I won't read it, but I'll explain um, those episodes that my reviewers refused to give me more than a star because they said that the sex was gratuitous and sorbid but the sex was me that's how I lived my life back in the 70s anyway thank you for listening